Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and chair of the family law group at Mills and Mills LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, we're talking about how to get the courage to safely leave a marriage. And I'm really excited to have on the podcast today a guest by the name of Tiffany Fambro. And Tiffany uh, is a women's empowerment coach, and I connected with her, uh, I think it was through Facebook, and she also has a podcast that I'm going to be on um, later on, and uh, I'm really excited to have you here today, Tiffany, so welcome. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Why don't you start by just telling listeners a little bit about yourself and the work you do and uh, your own kind of journey to where you are now? Absolutely. Well, as Leanne stated, I'm a women's empowerment coach. I help women build their confidence, build their self-esteem, and really get clear on their goals so they can create a plan to move forward faster. One thing that my one-on-one coaching clients always says is like, Tiffany, I didn't even realize how much I wanted to do <laughs> until I started working with you. And we we opened up that space within where they felt comfortable enough and vulnerable enough to actually ask themselves the question, what is it that I really want in life and what is it going to make me happy? And so that's the type of work that I do. Of course, I do one-on-one coaching. I have actual online programs that I do. So there's so many ways that women can, can contact me. And as far as how I got on this journey, I myself uh, you know, started off years ago. I went to school, got an education, got married, got the corporate career. I did the things that in my family I was taught to do. This is what it means to be an adult. This is what it means to be responsible. And I did all those things. And by the end of it, I'm like, okay, I've got all this stuff and I'm not happy. I'm still miserable. (laughs) And part of that is because I never really asked myself the question, well, what actually, what type of life did you want? You know, what is going to make you actually happy? Because I did the things that I said I was going to do, but those were not the things that made me happy. And basically, long story short, I was in a draining marriage, a very demanding corporate career. I was overweight. I was unhealthy. And I was like, okay, I have to get control. So the first thing I did, I took control of my health. I started walking. That turned into a jog. I started researching healthy eating. I eventually got into bodybuilding. I started doing bodybuilding competitions. And that just led to a whole healthy lifestyle. And so when I got on that journey, I really started digging deeper into myself, asking myself, you know, what are the next steps? What do you want to do with your life? And as 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 time went on, because my marriage became so harsh, I ended up getting a divorce which again was another part of the journey. And then I ended up getting laid off my corporate career, which was another part of the journey. And, <laughs> but all through that through that process, it just continued to lead me to what I was supposed to be doing, which was starting a women's empowerment company to help other women who, are, who were in the space that I was in get past that and move forward. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, and often the best people to help others are people who've been through the experience themselves and can relate. So uh, it, it's, I think your, your background, obviously, it sounds like it was meant to be where you are now. Absolutely, Leanne. <laughs> now, in terms of uh, the topic today, you know, my first question for you would be, you know, who needs to have a safety plan? Uh, is it something, you know, everybody needs if they're in a marriage and they're, you know, thinking of leaving or who needs one and why? So to me, a safety plan is 
not just safety, like your life is in danger safety, but an actual kind of a backup plan, especially if you feel that you're, you know, you're headed to divorce or mediation. It's kind of like the what if plans. I know a lot of people don't like to talk about prenups and all that type of thing because they want to believe that, you know, marriage is going to last forever. And I hope, I hope it does. But for a lot of women, I say, you know, when you go into marriage, also kind of think about, well, what if things don't work out exactly the way, you know, they're going to be, do I have money in the bank? Do I have my own bank account? Do I have, you know, is there someone, a good close friend that I have that I could call just in case, you know, we get into an argument one night and I just need to go to someone's house. So that's kind of preliminary kind of you know, what if circumstances. However, when you talk about a safety plan in particular, I especially think women who are being in a domestic violence situation definitely need to have a safety plan, especially if they're staying with their partner, they're for whatever reason choosing to stay. You need to have a safety plan in place, meaning that you need to have a be in a situation where you have literally thought to yourself, when this person comes home, And they're getting into, because a lot of times what you see in domestic violence um, circumstances, the predator has a pattern or the offender has a pattern. And nine times out of 10, the person who is in the victim position knows that pattern. You know, if the person comes home and they're arguing and they're loud, instead of staying in the kitchen where they're not, where there are knives or staying in a room where you know there's a weapon, try to try to move the conversation to a neutral place. Um, if you can, if you can keep an extra phone in the house where you can easily get to it so you can call 911. If you can have a cold word with your children, if there are children or other family members in the home, where when the agitator is starting to get riled up and you see that pattern, the, that you can say that cold word so they know, okay, it's time for us to go in the back room or it's time for us to go to our neighbor's house and get our neighbor and to call 911 or call the family member. So in those circumstances, as a person who is in a domestic violence situation and choosing to stay with that partner, you definitely need to have a plan in place so that everyone in the home knows what to do and how to do it should the agitator start up. So that is one circumstance. And Leanne, I want to say this because I I really want your listeners to understand. I actually uh, did an internship when I was in college with a domestic violence unit of a major police department in a major city. And so these weren't things that I just learned from my own personal experience with my ex-husband. These are things that I learned in college. My, my background is psychology and public health. And so I worked um, with domestic violence victims. I've worked in social services. So these are things that I had to learn in my professional past career to help the women in those circumstances be safe. Yeah. And, and safety is so important. Uh, you know, for people who are in that type of situation. I know, you know, I did work as a prosecutor here for many years and my specialty was domestic violence. And, you know, that was something that we stressed, you know, to the victims of domestic violence, because often, you know, even though there were court charges and whatnot, they would still end up often going back to the perpetrator or the abuser. And so we wanted to make sure that if they, you know, that choice is theirs, it's not, mind to make or to judge. Um, but if they choose to do that, then they at least you want to empower them with, you know, some, some concepts and ideas of how they can at least, you know, be safe. Exactly. Um, Leanne, it's so ironic that when I was in my marriage, my ex-husband did not 
physically, there was an altercation in my home that, you know, ended up with us going to counseling and that type of thing. And he got very angry and, you know, he threw, threw a table, long story short, across the room. And, it, and so it was the first time where I felt unsafe. And I bring this up because in my circumstance, my ex-husband was not a consummate abuser as far as physical abuse. But when that happened, I got so afraid that I was afraid of him. And so when I went to my therapist at the time, we had separate marriage counselors. It was a very bizarre situation. (laughs) We had (laughs) separate counselors that we were seeing. She said, hey, I can coach you on how to stay in this situation, just like you explained, or I can show you how to get out. And so when you, what you just said is so important for, I think for your listeners to understand, because there's a safety plan for women who are going to stay in the marriage and learn how to be safe within that environment that they know is going to be violent. Yeah. And I I think that's really true. So if, you know, someone out there is listening and they are in uh, an unsafe marriage and they're not ready to leave yet, um, we'll talk about the ones who are ready to leave in a moment, but they're not ready to leave yet. What are some of the things you would say to them, you know, would be important components that they have for a safety plan? Absolutely. The ones who are going to stay, who are not ready to leave yet, I definitely would say make sure that you try to have a separate account or some stash money just in case, you know, there's a day where you at least need to get away for a short period of time. I would definitely say make sure you have a safety friend, whether it's a neighbor or a family member that you can call who kind of knows the circumstance and knows that when you pick up the phone, there's a safe word. So if you have to talk to them and I've heard women say, you know, I'm calling pizza, you know, maybe pizza pepperoni is your safe word if, if the abuser's in front of you. So have that safe word so that when whoever you call, they know what you're talking about. Make sure that if you have people in the house with you, they know the safe word so that when you say it, they know that means to go run to the neighbor or run to your friend's house or just get out of the house in general. Um, the other thing I would say is, when it comes to weapons, take inventory of the weapons that are in the house and try to make sure those weapons are not in a place where the agitator can get to them easily. Um, and I, I would say if you can, if you, you know, as a woman who's listening to this, if you feel comfortable having a weapon somewhere in the house where the agitator does not know about or the children don't know about, then make sure you have that somewhere you can get to it easily. I mean, clearly you don't want anyone to to get hurt in, in any circumstance. You, you want there to always be a nonviolent solution. But when it comes down to your life or their life, choose your life. Um, and, and that's a horrible thing to say, but it's the truth. The other thing that I say is if you're in that circumstance, if you can, if you feel comfortable enough, reach out to a counselor or a therapist, someone that can support you through the circumstance to see if at any point there is a way out. I know some women, when it comes to their children, they're like, absolutely not. I cannot leave my, you know, I can't leave because of the children or I can't leave because of he'll kill me or I can't, you know. So there's so many different extenuating circumstances but if you can reach out to a therapist or a counselor or, you know, 1-800 number to just talk to someone to see, you know, what, because because there's always, there's always a way, but sometimes we don't know that because we haven't talked to anyone that's been in that circumstance or that situation. 
No, that's so important. And I mean, and I would add to that list even to talk to a lawyer. There are lawyers who give free consultations. Um, and I think it's really important, particularly if you are concerned about leaving what's going to happen with your children and what your rights are in terms of taking them with you and, and all of that. I think it's really important to speak to a lawyer and get that advice before taking any sort of action so that you feel confident in what you're doing, that you're not going to, you know, run afoul of the law in some way and end up creating a situation that makes things worse for yourself. Now, with we mentioned the people who are not ready to leave. So what about someone who say who's out there listening to this podcast, and they're in a, an abusive relationship, and they feel like they've had enough, but they're they, you know, they're afraid to leave. They're afraid to stay and they're afraid to leave, but they really want to leave. How do you help somebody in that situation? You know, kind of men, not kind of, but how do you help them mentally prepare to do what they're going to need to do? Absolutely. That's such a great question. I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the concept of mentally prepared. You know, when I was trying to leave my husband, thankfully we were both in therapy at the time anyway, but it was a mental, I had been dealing with that circumstance for years. It was not something that happened one time and I was ready to leave. It was years and years of the psychological trauma and years of years of almost like me brainwashing myself, telling myself, this is as good as it's going to get, or you should at least be thankful he doesn't hit you, or you should at least be thankful he comes home. You know, we, we can rationalize so many things when there's no one on the outside looking in and telling us like, this is a disaster, what are you talking about? So our brain tends to rationalize in order for us to make it, you know, ourselves comfortable with staying in the situation. So the mindset is everything. And I tell women when you're in a place where you're, you're, that little voice is saying, I don't, I don't think you can stay. I don't think this is a good thing. That's when you want to reach out. You cannot do it alone. There are some women I think that have done it alone, don't get me wrong, but if you're on that on that kind of cusp where you're halfway in, halfway out, reach out. Ask for a helping hand. Like you said, talk to a lawyer. Figure out what your rights are. Talk to a therapist. I highly recommend women going to a therapist or a counselor and someone who really um, specializes in divorce because they have so many ideas and concepts and suggestions and resources that can help you. So once you're able to start reaching out to someone <laughs> who, who does this for a living, they talk to, when they're able to kind of give you an objective opinion, idea, suggestion, it helps you to start convincing your brain that yes, this is the right thing to do. Because when you're able to look at the facts and, and that's one thing that I learned from my own therapist at that time was instead of putting your emotion into it, let's look at the facts. Let's look at what is really happening here. You feel like your life is in danger. This person has done something to make you feel unsafe. You don't want to sleep at night in the same house with them. You cannot live like this. So let's look at the facts. And so when you have somebody that can really put the facts on the table for you, it's it's easier for you to really see the truth versus rationalizing their behavior and saying, oh, it was just a one time or they didn't really mean it. Or So that's number one. And I think that's the first step in getting your mindset on board. 
And the second thing is once you get your mindset on board and you're, you've reached out to the professional who has said, hey, th- this, is, this is the truth. This is where you are. Once you get your mindset on board, make a decision. If it's a yes, then let's, let's take action. The moment that you say yes to yourself and you say, okay, I'm ready to leave, that is when you start to do your research. That is not when you start to move out of the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that is when you start to do your research, talk to a lawyer, start learning the laws of your state. One thing, Leanne, in my circumstance that I did, I started talking to lawyers as well before I even even said anything to my ex-husband about divorce or any of that. I started to learn the laws of the state. I own property before I met him. So I needed to learn things about property. I needed to learn things about, um, and, and I was in Atlanta, Georgia at that time here in the United States. So what are the laws? Um, because they were, I had property in a different state. So I had to learn the laws of, of that state. We thankfully didn't have children, but you know, some states you have to be separated for a period of time before you can actually get divorced. So I had to figure out, does he have to move out of the house? You know, so you you want to start learning those things, whatever country you're in, whatever state you're in, whatever, you know, area that you're in, municipality that you're in, before you even start doing anything else. So once you kind of get established with the laws, that kind of helps you to understand, okay, what are the next steps? The next thing that you need to do is if you have a joint account, you need to have a separate account as far as a banking account. Open it up in your name. Make sure that the people at the bank, whoever is is in charge, knows that this is your private account. It is not, you know, your husband's name is not on it or your spouse's name, whoever that is, is not supposed to be on that account. And you can go through different alerts and work with the bank to establish that this, no one can access this account but you. Or you can also put a family member on the account so that the family member has access and you have access, but that that ex-spouse or partner does not have access to it. The next thing you want to do is establish a safety place. So I ended up getting a storage unit that my ex-husband did not know about. And what I started to do with that storage unit, and it was in an in a area that I could get to quickly, but not in an area that um, he would think to go to, like a whole other part of town that he wouldn't even think about. So I got a storage unit and I slowly started to um, put things in boxes and take it to the storage unit when he was at work or when he was out of town for work. Things that he didn't even, he he wouldn't have missed, you know, (laughs) which you'd be amazed at how sometimes your spouses don't, they don't pay any attention to your stuff. (laughs) Um. And you want to make sure that you go through paperwork. So if you have paperwork, very important documents, those are things when your your spouse or your soon-to-be ex or partner is not in the home, start going through the important paperwork that you all have. If there's any documents that you need to make a copy of and put in your storage unit, start making copies of it and put in your storage unit. So the, the idea is that you're slowly moving things that are of importance outside of the home and putting it in a storage unit, or if you have a friend's home that you feel is, you, you can put safely put things there, whatever the circumstances, have a place. The other thing you want to do, have a person. You want to have a person that's whether they're a family member or a trusted friend that you're, you're telling them 
what you're doing. So they know if anything were to, ha were to happen to you, this was what she or he was doing when they were, you know, creating their exit strategy. You know, they were in the midst of separation. They were moving things to a storage unit. They were talking to attorneys about divorce. They were talking to, um, you know, a counselor or a therapist or whatever it may be. These were the things, write it down, write down dates and times and things so that your, your person, your friend or your family member has a record of everything that you were doing during this time. And the reason that I think this is so important is because, you know, Leanne, my ex-spouse was the type of person, he was very, very outgoing. He was very friendly. People loved him. But when we were home, when he got angry, he went from zero to 160 seconds. And so he, he would not, it, it, by the time he got so angry, he was literally screaming and throwing and to the point where he literally would have to step away to calm down. And even he would say, I don't know why I got so angry. To me, that's the scariest situation because those are the people that, and again, I'm not trying to scare your, your listeners, but when you hear about those, those circumstances where the spouse was so nice and then the next day they killed their, their wife or their husband, it's like, you didn't see it coming, but it's because they didn't, they didn't believe they could do something like that because they, they had no control over that anger. And later on, we found out that he suffered from intermittent explosive personality disorder. So when you're dealing with someone that has a mental health issue, you don't know, and they don't know how quickly they can pick up that knife or pick up that gun or whatever it may be in, in the passion of the moment yeah. and harm you. No, that's very true. You know, I think just, I know in my own, my training that I've gone through on domestic violence, you know, one of the things they talk about is when there is a, and this is kind of one of the differences between Canada and the U.S. with the the gun control laws. And, and I, you know, I have to confess, it's probably more of, a, it's especially a Canadian thing. I, I am anti-gun and we don't need to go down that whole path because I know in the U.S. it's a very controversial subject a strong views on each side but you know having it you know i think the research shows that when somebody gets angry if they have access to a weapon um like a gun you know it's more liable to be used than if there isn't one that they have access to so you know i think that that's something for people to be you know mindful of if they are living in a home where um their partner has you know legally owned guns and whatnot I wanted to just touch back on a couple of the, I, first of all, those were all fantastic points and thank you so much for so succinctly, you know, explaining it all to listeners because all of those things are so important. And I, but I wanted to go back just even to the first two that you were talking about, which was um, finding a therapist um, and also the lawyer. And one of the things I wanted to comment on, on, those two issues is, you know, often people who are in abusive relationships, part of the way that they're controlled is through gaslighting, right? Where the, the abuser is making them feel like they're crazy because they think something isn't right, um, you know, or they disagree with how something happened and the abuser will tell them, no, it happened this way or no, it's this is your fault and all of those sorts of things. And then, you know, and then another common thing in the legal realm is they'll say, if you leave me I'm going to take, make sure you never see our children again, and I'm not going to give you any money and I'm going to take the house and all of these things. And so, 
you know, why I like the fact that those were like the first two things you said is because I think when you talk to the therapist, the therapist is going to reinforce that you're not crazy and that your perception of reality is accurate. So you're going to be, you'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm not going crazy. This is abusive. This is wrong. All of that. And then when you talk to the lawyer, the lawyer is going to tell you, no, he can't take your children away from, you No, he, you, he can't just take the house and no, he can't not pay support. And the lawyer can put to rest all these threats that he might be making that you may, you know, because you've been in this relationship and that's what he's been telling you, you may believe that that's the case. So you need to educate yourself and get this outside knowledge so that you know accurately, not through the abuser, but through outside professionals, what what is real, what isn't, and what 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 your rights are. So you can feel confident that when you leave, that whatever he's threatening is going to happen, he he'll lose if he tries to do that. And and I love that you brought up gaslighting. You know, I I mean, <laughs> we could we could that could be a whole other podcast about <laughs> about gaslighting, but. Yes, when when it's just you, and it's unfortunate, but when you're when you're the victim and you've been in that situation with that person, and one thing that I went through, Leanne, and, and maybe some of your listeners can can um, relate, he and I had been together total of ten years, and so it, we didn't have any children. It was just us, and we were best friends, and we depended on each other. And so, when your relationship is so emotionally intertwined you start to second guess yourself and say, I can't leave. What, what will he do without me? How will he go on? Because that's one thing that abusers often do when you go through the cycle of abuse, you know, you go through the, the agitation, then the abuse, then you go through the honeymoon stage. And when they're, you're in that honeymoon moon stage, they say, you know, I can't live without you. You know, please don't leave me. You're my everything. You know, they, they use those, those emotional words because they know those are the things that will bring that, that, that victim back in to the fold, but then the cycle, then it continues all over again. Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Now, how much, you know, you mentioned all the steps, you know, for in a plan, um, for someone who, and I may have cut you off. There may be more. So if there are more than, um, I started talking about the guns, but if there's more, definitely let us know. But um, as a follow-up question, uh, how long or how much in advance does somebody need to prepare? Because there's a lot of steps there that they need to take care of. I think that's different for everyone. You know, I am the type of person, I gave myself a time frame, and my time frame was, number one, I, without telling him, was going to do this for the next two months because that's how long it took for me to coordinate with lawyers, get a storage unit, um, tell my my person, my contact person, my friend, um, my safety person what was going on and then um, go through all of our files. So it takes time. And so it depends on how much you have with this person. If you all, if, if you, you know, it's a marriage and let's say you have a lot of things and you really want to get out, it can be done quickly. You can do this within a month. But that will involve you reaching out for help and having friends or family members or someone on the outside who can help you. So I think it depends. And then I think you have to look at your life, depending on what you got going on in your life. If you have children and you say, well, 
I don't want this to happen while the children are in school. It might be best till we wait to this for me to wait to the summertime to actually not not do the research and not start up the exit strategy, but actually tell the aggressor what's happening because you want to make sure the children are in a safe place. So I think it really just depends on your circumstance and your situation. But what I tell women is give yourself a definite time frame. Give yourself, say to yourself, okay, these are the things that I have to do. I have to get, you know, a storage unit. I have to go through our stuff. I have to have a safety friend or whatever it may be. I have to um, make sure that I have clothes in another home or another space, just in case I have to leave overnight. And I have to make sure I have, I have to set up the bank accounts. So how long would that take me? If you know in your mind a month, make it a month. If you know that's two weeks, make it two weeks. If you know that's three months, make it three months, but set a definite time frame, and don't diverge from the time frame. Every single day, that should be your priority to get out of that circumstance. The other thing I would say is if the person, now in some situations, the person is not violent. You just want out. However, if the person does make you feel unsafe, I'll say that, then again, do these steps first to make sure all the kind of preliminary things are done before you confront that person and say, hey, I want a divorce or hey, I want out. And if you feel safe, when you have to have that conversation, you need to have someone there with you, you know, whether it be a lawyer, um, if you feel like you need law enforcement, if you feel like you need just a friend. But if you know that that person could potentially get violent, do not have that conversation without someone else being present that could protect you should they get violent when you tell them that you want to leave. Is there a right time to leave, you know, or, you know, how does someone know when it is the right time? Again, I think it depends. I always tell people if you're if you're in a dangerous situation, the right time is now. <laughs> the right I time agree. is as soon as possible. You know, and you know you want to get out, leave. Because at the end of the day, okay, I'm giving you a plan. I'm I'm giving you a, you know, advice and suggestions on how to go step by step, but if someone is threatening your life, you need to leave immediately. You can always get you can always get your stuff. That's stuff. You can always get them later. You can always go, you know, get a protection order in place and go back to the home with police and get your stuff out. So if you are in physical danger and you're like, I got to get out of here, get your stuff, get your clothes, get your children, get out of there, go to a friend, go to a neighbor, um, go to, if you need to go to a shelter, go to a shelter, but definitely get out. Then you, once you're able to get out, you need to involve law enforcement. Now, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in the United States, um, course, we have what's called protection orders. And protection orders, you know, are a little bit different depending on what state you're in as far as how long you can get a protection order. Sometimes you have to get the protection order, um, a preliminary protection order in the beginning, and then you get a, a longer term protection order. But the bottom line, what the protection order is saying is that this person can not come within a certain feet or distance from you. Once you get the protection order in place and all of your stuff is still in the home, you then can establish a situation where the police can escort you to the home. They can explain to the person, hey, we have this protection order. You need to be out of this home when, when he or she gets her stuff. And so if you need to get out immediately, then I would say go that route and then get your stuff out when you know you have protection around you. 
Yeah, and just for listeners here in Canada, um, we have something kind of similar called a restraining order. So you can get the restraining order so that that person can't come within a, a certain distance of you or contact you and then arrange with the police to go and get your belongings. Um, you could also get an order for exclusive possession of the matrimonial home that I would recommend you get a lawyer to do that. But if you are a victim of abuse, that is a, a ground to be able to get exclusive possession. So the abuser will have to leave. And then of course, if they are threatening you, like threatening your life, threatening to cause harm to you or being physically violent with you, you can always report it to the police and the police will come and charge the abuser. The abuser will be removed from the home and if released from jail will be put on conditions of their bail not to attend at the home and not to have contact with you. And so I, you know, encourage anyone who's listening, if they're, you know, if they are suffering physical violence, that they, you know, seriously consider going that route. In terms, if someone out there is listening and say they, they're isolated, because, you know, a lot of people who are in abusive relationships, part of the abuser isolates them from people. So say they feel like they don't have any friends, um, and maybe they live you know, far away from family, their families, you know, across the country or something like that. What resources now, I know it's, this is going to be obviously dependent on, you know, local, you know, aspects, but what are the types of resources that are available to people out there who, you know, feel like they don't have anyone else they can reach out to? Well, in most, at least in the United States, and I would say Canada too, I think in most countries in most states and most providences, they have a domestic violence resource center. Now, it may be a situation, I've worked on projects in my past life, I was in public health, um, so I had to work with communities across the country. Some of them were large cities, but some of them were very rural areas. And so in those rural areas, the amount of resources that you have is very limited as far as physical resources. Sometimes you would have to rely on your county. So the county may have resources that you have to reach out to. Sometimes you would have to look up um, information about the state as far as domestic violence resource centers within the state. And then um, I tell people, you know, there are crisis lines. You have 24 hour crisis lines. And again, it depends on the state, but call a crisis line. Now, th again, these are things that you would have to look up on, on the internet to see what, what in your state you, you, you can uh, gain access to. But more than likely, the work that I've done, there's always a domestic violence resource center. And I believe here in the United States, we actually have a national domestic violence um, coalition. So you could always Google that and then reach out to see if they have individual state satellite offices or phone numbers that you can you can reach out to yes yeah, so and here in canada i know we have a domestic violence hotlines as well and obviously there's the shelters and you know i would encourage someone who's in this type of situation to to google these resources but make sure you clear your history um on your computer and so that your you know the abuser doesn't know that you've been looking at these things and often these sites even have you know, buttons on them to go incognito or, you know, to change things up if in case the abuser were to enter the room and see where you're watching. So, but just, you know, make sure you do clear the browser history if you are looking at them and you're concerned that your abuser may have access to your computer or does have access. You know, Tiffany, how, you know, because a lot of people who are in this type of situation, you know, they feel disempowered. 
how do they finally get get that courage to leave? Because I mean, we can't lie here and say that it's going to be easy because it's not. It's going to be difficult and it's probably going to be, you know, arguably the most difficult thing that someone in that situation may have to do. So how do they get the courage? You know, one thing, Leanne, that I tell anyone, even if you're in the situation and you're like, right now I I physically have to stay here or I can't get out or I'm not, I'm not quite sure, begin the process of that internal change. Begin the process of you building up who you are again. You know, when I was in my situation, for me, going to the gym was my, that was my safe, sacred space because that was a time where he was not there. So when you look at your life, what is a, what space do you have in your life where that person is not there, where they're not with you constantly? Everyone's circumstance is different. But if you have a space in your day where that person is not there, use that time to start building up your belief in yourself. Start journaling your thoughts. If you have to keep a journal at your job, don't even take it home and start just writing out what it is that you desire, how it is that you feel for that day. Just start expressing yourself, what it is you like, what it is that you didn't like. And it sounds like a very simple thing to do, but that's the beginning of you stepping back into you, of you getting to know the person that you were before you met this person before you got involved in a situation, you know, start again, find that place, whether it's a jog, you know, I used to always go for my jogs and that was my meditation time. If you're not into fitness, that's not the point, but find your, find your sacred space. If you go walking in the park, but you have to start establishing a time when you are separate from that person. And maybe that is the beginning of you saying, you know what, telling whoever it is, your spouse or your significant other, you know, I, I've been working a lot and, you know, I'm just kind of stressed from work. Do you mind watching the kids for a second while I go to the park? Do you mind, you know, I, I'm just going to go over Susie's house and we're going to knit for a while. But find that time where you can get away from the aggressor, because like you said, Leanne, the control is that they have you. They physically <laughs> have you every single day. So when you're in their physical presence, that's the beginning of all the mind, the, the mindset brainwashing. So you have to establish a separation physically from them. And then when you have that time frame, whatever it may be, whether it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, again, if you can't get to a therapist or a counselor, ultimately a therapist or a counselor is the best way to go. But if you can't get to that person, the best way is to start establishing boundaries, physical boundaries, by saying that, okay, this is the time that I need. Do you mind? I even used to, um, on my lunch break sometimes, you know, he would say, you know, hey, are you coming home for lunch? Do you want to meet up for lunch? And I'd say, oh, no, I got a meeting for lunch. I didn't have a meeting for lunch. <laughs> the meeting that I had for lunch was with myself because it was me using that time frame to establish my boundaries and say, okay, Tiffany, this is your time. What is it that you want? Because Leanne, what I find, even when I'm coaching my clients that are not in circumstances like this, what I find is that the biggest issue with their mindset is that they haven't allowed themselves time to have that quiet time to ask themselves, what do you want? What do you need? What can you do for yourself to feel better? What would life be like if he or she was not in the picture. 
what would your life have been like had you never met this person? You need to start digging deep into those questions in that private sacred time and allowing yourself to feel, allowing yourself to think the thoughts of who would my life be without them? How would I behave? Like write it out. Where would I live? Would I live in a state? Would I live in a city? Would I, would I have my own home? What does that world look like? Because until you can establish in your mind what life would be like without them, it's very difficult for you to establish it in the real world. So give yourself that time. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Now, how can listeners find you if they'd like to work with you and, or learn more about what it is that you do? Absolutely. So Leanne, I am on all social media. My website is www.cccwomensempowerment.com. I am also on Facebook in my private Facebook group. Excuse me. I am Clarity Confidence Courage Women's Empowerment. On Instagram, I'm Tiffany J. Fambro. And on LinkedIn, I'm Tiffany J. Fambro. So if you just Google Clarity Confidence Courage Women's Empowerment, all of my information pops up as well. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I honestly, I think this is one of my favorite podcasts because I think this information is so important. And um, I, th- I think that you've so, you know, eloquently summarized a lot of the key things that people need to know if they're in this type of situation. So thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming on the podcast today. Sure. And Leanne, before we start, stop, I just want to mention one other resource that I, I meant to say. And that is when, if, if you work, you know, in a corporate place or a job or whatever it is, it may be a circumstance if you feel, you know, that you're in a dangerous situation or just, you know, a situation where you don't feel comfortable with that person, alert a coworker or a, a manager or someone that you can trust at your job. Um, that's one thing that I had to do. I had to establish that. And I know I'm a private person. Well, I was a private person. And it was very difficult for me to open up to my manager and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. But I had to do that when I was getting divorced because he knew where I worked. And, you know, so you want at least one person that you can trust. And that might be your manager at your job where you can, um, depending on the, the level of violence, where you can say, if he shows up to her workplace, do not let him in the door. Yeah, no, that's great advice. It's so important. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you. And thank you to my listeners. Please like, subscribe, review, and join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Bye for now. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. 
Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.